Well, 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. There was a young couple, two high school sweethearts, who were talking on the phone. The boy said to his girlfriend, Baby, just to be by your side, I would swim through shark-infested waters. I would hike across the desert under the blistering sun. I would hack my way through the thickest jungle. I would brave the attack of vicious animals. I would scale the tallest peaks and I would descend the steepest slopes. I would sail through the fiercest winds and I would plunge to the bottom of the deepest ocean. I would climb on the wings of an eagle and soar through the sky just to be by your side. Baby, I'd do anything just to be with you. And if there's nothing on television this afternoon, I might just drive over to your house. Well, you get the feeling that boy was just blowing smoke, don't you? He was buttering up his babe. His meager actions betrayed his tall talk. But this also happens to Christians. Our actions can also betray our talk. We claim to know the love of God. We say we love others. We even desire to share God's love with people around us. But true love is more than words. John explains that real love is exhibited in deed and in truth. This morning, I'm going to help you in every area of your life, spiritually and domestically and professionally, at church, at home, and on the job. In fact, a psychiatrist charges big bucks for the assistance I'm about to provide you this morning. Today, you're going to learn how to improve every relationship in your life. Is your marriage on the skids? This morning, I'm going to help you turn it around. Maybe you've been running out of patience with a toddler. Hey, listen carefully. I'm about to prescribe the cure for your agitation. Perhaps you've been having trouble corralling a rebellious teenager. Well, here's how to break down the walls and open up lines of communication. Do you have a conflict with a neighbor or a co-worker or a church member? Well, I'm going to explain to you this morning how to overcome friction in a friendship. Today, I'm going to explain how our church can win the world for Jesus. Right now, right this second, I'm going to give you the solution to all these dilemmas and more. In fact, I want you to write this down. Well, as a matter of fact, if you've got a Bible, it's already written down. Here is extremely valuable advice, verse 18. Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed And in truth, if you want to change your life for the better, then be a better lover. In John 13, verse 35, Jesus told his disciples that the world would know that we're his followers if we have love for one another. Love is the believer's birthmark. Jesus didn't say we would be distinguished by our Christian t-shirts or the aluminum fish that's on the bumper of our car. Or the Bible we carry. 
or how many hours we pray, or how much scripture we know, or how often we serve. No, Jesus said that we would catch the eye of this unbelieving world, that we would draw people to himself when we reached out in love to one another. Greek writer Lucian, who lived in the late 2nd century AD, he wrote of the early church, the church of his day. He says, it is incredible to see the fervor with which these people of that religion help each other in their wants. They spare nothing. Their first legislator, Jesus, has put it in their hearts that they are brethren. Lucian was on the outside of the church looking in. But a man named Tertullian, a church leader at the time, he was on the inside looking out. He wrote, It is our care for the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. They say, Look how they love one another. Look how they are prepared to die for one another. You know, throughout the history of Christianity, love has remained our hallmark. Jesus loved us enough to lay down his life for us. Now he wants you and me to love him enough to lay down our lives for each other. You know, John 3.16 is by far the most famous verse in the Bible. It's familiar to believers and unbelievers alike. Signs proclaiming John 3.16 appear anywhere and everywhere. In fact, Tim Tebow writes it on his eye black that he wears under his eyes. Did you know that the day after Tebow wore the verse under his eyes in the national championship game, there were 90,000 hits on Google for John 3.16? That's great. People who know nothing else about the Bible can quote John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But today's text, 1 John 3.16, is also a vital verse. In fact, the two verses are so interrelated, it's appropriate that they carry the same biblical address, 3.16. John 3.16 says that God loves us enough to give His only Son. 1 John 3.16 tells us that since He does, we ought to love one another with that same kind of love. You see, the key to the success of our church in any church is our belief in both 3.16s. Years ago, I ran across a title, a list of titles, of the best of the worst Country Western songs. These are the best of the worst country Western song titles. Here's some of the great love songs of all time. I've got the hungries for your love, and I'm waiting in your welfare line. How about this one? My John Deere was breaking your field while your dear John was breaking my heart. My wife ran off with my best friend, and I sure do miss him. Here's one for all the teenagers in the crowd. They may put me in prison, but they can't stop my face from breaking out. But, but here's the one song title in the list that really grabbed me. In fact, it fits our theme here in 1 John chapter 3. It's the lyric, I fell in a pile of you and got love all over me. I like that. Well, here's my question this morning. If I fell into a pile of you, 
would I have love all over me? I mean, if a person starved for love, maybe a refugee from a dysfunctional family or, or maybe someone from an abusive background walked into our church and fell into a pile of us, would he or she walk out covered in love? I hope our church is known for our love for one another. This morning I want to discuss how to be a better lover. And I have three points. What love is, how love thinks, and what love does. First, let's understand what love is. Verse 16 tells us, By this we know love, and here's love's definition, because he laid down his life for us. If you want to know what true love is, then make a close, careful study of the sacrifice of Jesus. To behold undiluted love, look to the cross. The ultimate illustration of real love is the Lord Jesus hanging on that tree. I'm sure Jesus didn't feel like having spikes driven through his hands and his feet. It didn't feel comfortable having a crown of thorns pierce his brow. He didn't get warm fuzzies from being tortured and executed. But the cross shows us that real love has very little to do with feelings and with warm fuzzies. Love is all about commitment and endurance and sacrifice. Once there was an Eskimo boy, probably lived nearby, who said to his girlfriend, Sweetheart, I, I pushed my dog team over a hundred miles through ice and snow just to be by your side today and to tell you that I love you. The Eskimo girl, she responded, she looked at him and said, Ah, that's a lot of mush. Well, you see, love is more than just emotional mush. It's more than a gush of hormones or a rush of adrenaline. You know, Tina Turner had a hit song where she wondered, What's love got to do with it? She belittles love as a second-hand emotion. Obviously, poor Tina doesn't know the love of Jesus. For real love is more than a feeling. It's more than an emotion. It's a deep, abiding, caring commitment. Hey, look at Jesus on the cross and you'll see love. In fact, you'll see four traits of true love. First, for love to be meaningful, it has to be voluntary. And that was the love of Jesus. Understand, it wasn't the Romans that nailed Jesus to the cross. Nor was it the jealous Jewish leaders who engineered his death sentence. Nor was it the angry mob who cried out for Barabbas to be set free. Nor was it the indifferent governor named Pilate. Nor Caiaphas the high priest. Nor even the legionnaire who held in his hand the hammer and the nails. No, Jesus himself submitted to the will of God and gave his body freely as a sacrifice for you and me. He could have called 10,000 angels to his rescue, but he chose not to. Jesus didn't have his life taken from him. He offered it willingly. This is what love does. It always gives itself voluntarily. Reminds me of the engaged couple who came to the pastor for some premarital counseling. And as they were filling out the questionnaire, they got to the line that asked, Are you entering this marriage of your own free will? That's when the boy, he stalled. 
And after a few seconds, the girl jabbed him in the ribs and she leaned over and she whispered to him, put down yes. Okay. <laughs> love that's coerced is not love at all. God could have made us relational robots. He could have programmed us with desired responses. Instead, God chose to let us choose. You see, love for God would be pointless if it didn't flow from our hearts. If we didn't truly desire to love God. And the same is true with our love for one another. It has to be voluntary. It's been said, love never asks how much must I do, but how much may I do. True love is voluntary. But true love is also unselfish. Verse 16 says, Jesus laid down his life. You see, love is laying it down, not picking it up. It's giving, not just receiving. It's been said, love begins when a person believes another person's needs are as important as his own. Love not only lays down its life, but it lays down its rights and its comforts and its time and its attention and its energy for the other person. Have you ever spent serious time in the ICU waiting room at a hospital? Ever been there? Though it's usually under sad circumstances, the ICU waiting room marks a marvelous exception to human nature. When you're in that waiting room, you hear comments like, man, I hope your husband makes it. We're praying that your son will walk again. I'd give anything if I could swap places with that little girl. You see, no one worries about themselves in the ICU waiting room. They, they care about the patients and they care about each other. No one is rude there. Everyone thinks of the other person. In the intensive care waiting room, racial and class distinctions all melt away. A person is a father first. A black man or a white man second. The roofer loves his wife as much as the college professor loves his wife. Everyone in that waiting room is pulling for everyone else. Folks in the ICU are on the same team. And my prayer is that our church develops this same sense of community and compassion and caring as you find in an intensive care waiting room. In reality, all of life is like a waiting room. We're waiting on Jesus to return and we're pulling for each other, for the sick and for the injured and for the hurting around us. We're pulling for each other to make it. Love cares about other people. Real love is an unselfish love. And true love is also sacrificial. You know, we often say God's grace is free, but it's not cheap. Love costs Jesus his life. The cross reveals that love True love is costly. Once there was a daughter who came to her mom for advice. The girl's boyfriend was so determined to make a good impression that he kept buying her presents, expensive presents. This boy was still a student. He drew a modest salary. And the girl was concerned that, that he was spending money beyond his means. And so she came and she asked her mom, she said, what can I do to stop Jim from spending so much money on me? And without hesitation, the mom looked at her and said, marry him. <laughs> you 
You know, it's sad that after marriage, both spouses, the husband and the wife, tend to stop making sacrifices for each other. And yet sacrifice is what love is all about. It reminds me of a story from the life of David. You know, one day in a moment of whimsical reflection, David just sighed. He said, oh, that someone would bring me a drink of water from the well at Bethlehem. Bethlehem was David's hometown. He was being nostalgic. For at the time, Bethlehem was occupied by the hated Philistines. David and his men, they were camping miles away. There was plenty of water in David's camp. It wasn't a serious request, mind you. David was just daydreaming here. But three of his men, they heard him. And wanting to show their leader how much they loved him, they traveled to Bethlehem. They slipped behind enemy lines. They eluded the guards. They drew out water from the well. And they brought it back to David to take a drink. David couldn't. He poured the water out on the ground for he felt unworthy of their amazing love. You see, true love is not afraid to make sacrifices, to take risks. True love operates on a strange logic. It buys gifts it can't afford. And it puts out effort even when it's tired. And it takes the call even when it's not convenient. Love risks danger and it spares no expense. Real love is willing to make a sacrifice. Genuine love is extravagant and costly. It's a sacrificial love. And true love is also unconditional. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 tells us, But God demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice this. Jesus went to the cross long before you decided to even give Him the time of day. Jesus made the first move in your relationship with him. That means love initiates. Love doesn't wait on the other person to make the first move. Remember in kindergarten when you slipped notes to, to your, uh, the little boy you had a crush on, a little girl you had a crush on, and, and it would say, do, do you love me? Check yes, no, or maybe. Because you didn't really want to say you loved them until you knew they loved you, you know. But love, real love is unconditional. Real love just takes the initiative. It steps right out there. It loves without, without any promise of love in return. Robertson McQuilkin was president of Columbia Bible College when his wife came down with Alzheimer's. And when Muriel's disease progressed, McQuilkin gave up his prestigious position in order to stay at home and to take care of his wife himself. It was an extraordinary example of love. I read where McQuilkin commented, Love is said to evaporate if the relationship is not mutual, if it's not physical, if the other person doesn't communicate, or if one party doesn't carry his or her share of the load. When I hear the litany of essentials for a happy marriage, I count off what my beloved can no longer contribute, and then I contemplate how truly mysterious my love for her is. McQuilkin's love for his wife was unconditional. Real love always is. It's love with no strings attached. Well, you see, this is what love is. It's voluntary, and it's unselfish, and it's sacrificial, and it's unconditional. Is your life, is our church marked by this kind of love? If not, then why not? But I want you to notice, too, how love thinks. 
Read the last half of verse 16. We're told, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Since Jesus laid down his life for me, I show my love for him by laying down my life for other people. You see, a Christian's love is always tied to the cross. The cross is where love starts. I love you because Jesus first loved me. And the more I receive of his love for me, the more love I'll have to give to you. This is how love thinks. You know, usually a shadow casts a darkness. A shadow blocks out light. But there's a shadow that illuminates. It's the shadow of the cross. For in the shadow of the cross, Jesus' sacrifice, the light of his sacrifice pours in. The issues of life become clearer under the cross. I see myself, the depth of my corruption that warranted such a hideous punishment. And yet I also calculate the value I've obtained. For if such a heavy price was paid for me, I must be loved and I must be wanted. You see, at the cross, I feel the love. Love thinks in light of the cross. It always does. Call it cross-think. You know, if Jesus can go to the cross for me, then I can toss the ball around with the kids after work, even though I've come home completely exhausted. If Jesus went to the cross for me, then I can cook a pan of lasagna to take over to a needy family. If Jesus went to the cross for me, then I can sacrifice a little extra spending money to help a person who's lost his job. If Jesus went to the cross for me, then I can go out of my way to spend time with a teenager nobody else cares about. Hey, when you think of the cross, all things become possible. If Jesus went to the cross for me, well, then even you can vacuum the carpet for your wife one day, one afternoon, one Saturday afternoon. You can do that. Well, I suppose I can too, I guess. Well, this is how love thinks. It cross-thinks. But in verses 17 and 18, we're told what love does. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Now, love does three things. I want you to see this. It sees needs, it feels needs, and it meets needs. First, love sees needs. Real love has eyes. John tells us, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need. Selfishness has a mouth. It likes to gobble up and eat. Envy has an ear. Oh, it likes to take in the latest juiciest gossip. Pride has a nose. It's always stuck way up in the air. But love has a set of eyes that enable it to see the needs around us. Love looks. And hey, this was Jesus. One of the amazing qualities of our Lord, of our Lord Jesus, was he had the uncanny ability to pick needy people out of a crowd. Remember, he saw Zacchaeus way up in a sycamore tree, and he called him down. Jesus was passing through a crowd one day and people were pressing in on him. When suddenly he stopped, a needy person had reached out and touched him in faith. He knew, he saw. John 9 verse 1 tells us, as Jesus passed by, he saw a blind man, a man who was blind from birth. 
I mean, folks walked by this beggar every day. In fact, several times a day. But they never saw him. Everyone looked right at him, but no one even saw him. But Jesus, he had never passed that way. And yet he saw this blind man. You see, anywhere Jesus passed, he was looking for needs to meet. Jesus saw this blind man. And later he restored vision to this man. And it proves that love has eyes. Love sees what others miss. How many blind men or women have you passed by? And yet don't we possess the light of God's word that can open spiritual eyes? I wonder how many sinners like Zacchaeus have we left up in a tree or out on a limb because we passed by without even knowing they were close by. You see, love opens its eyes to the needs of the people around us. So many people today are in desperate situations, and not just economically, but morally, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. The word lost has never been more appropriate to describe people without Jesus than it is today. There's a whole generation in crisis. How many people have we let slip through the cracks or left up a tree? Because we didn't see. One Sunday morning, an envelope was dropped in the offering box back there. There was no name on the offering bo- on the envelope. They brought it to me afterwards. But on the flap of the envelope were written these words. Pray for me. I desperately want to end my life. I am so unhappy. Thank you. And it grieved me to think that I may have passed by that person that morning. And failed to see them. You may have sat next to that person that morning and and didn't even know it. It's scary that we can be so oblivious to such desperate needs and not see. Guys, it's love that opens our eyes and makes us see. And here's what's even more scarier for me. Because this can happen under your own roof. What about the needs in your own home, in the life of your spouse, or in the heart and mind of your kids, when sort of passing in and out of your own house, you can become blind to the needs within your own family? It's amazing to me. I have no problem discerning when the grass needs to be mowed. And I can usually pick out when the garbage needs to be carried out. But why am I so slow in recognizing when my wife and my kids are suffering emotionally or when they're on the edge spiritually. Hey, God wants us to live our lives with our eyes wide open. Love sees needs. But what else does love do? Love meets, it feels needs. It doesn't just see needs, it feels needs. Love doesn't simply meet needs in a cold, calculated, assembly line kind of fashion. Love is tender. Love is compassionate and empathetic. You know, I see the clips of of what's going on in Haiti and they're taking the food and they're dropping it out of helicopters and it's bouncing on the ground and the people are coming up and grabbing it. Love doesn't work that way. I'm not saying that's not loving. We're we're providing a need. But but love, love not only meets needs, it feels needs. Love is down on the ground handing out that, that food, ministering to the soul of the person, not just to their stomach. Love is compassionate and empathetic. 
It heals the heart as it feeds the stomach. It warms the soul as it clothes the body. Love feels needs. Look again at verse 17. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Implied is that God's love prohibits a shut heart. As long as the love of God abides in me, it keeps prying my heart open. I'll not only see needs around me, but I'll be empathetic toward those needs. You know, I may not always be able to meet a need. God may even lead me to not meet certain needs. But He never wants me to shut up my heart to a need. For when I turn a cold shoulder, or when I stonewall a legitimate need, If I ever stop caring for the hurting person, I eventually stop feeling altogether. And if I stop feeling, I stop seeing. And if I stop seeing, I end up like the throngs of people today who trudge through life with their heads down, their eyes closed, and even worse, their hearts hard, caring about only three people, me, myself, and I. I don't want to grow and be an old, bitter old man. That's not my destiny. I want to keep my heart open. Love feels needs. I ran across a statement that speaks volumes. It's about true friendship. From now on, there will be such a oneness between us that when one weeps, the other will taste salt. Well, real love tastes the salt of the person who weeps. Once there was a mentally impaired young man. He was playing with the bottle stacked on the pharmacy shelf. The store manager saw him and he rushed over and he rebuked him. He said, young man, put those bottles down this instant. The little boy was unmoved. He continued to be playing with the bottles. And about that time, his big sister appeared and she surmised the situation. And she walked over to her autistic brother and, and she just whispered in his ear. And immediately he put the bottles back in their place. She told the manager, she said, my brother doesn't understand when you talk to him in a mean way. I just love it into him. Hey, true love never ignores this truth. That that we can speak the truth, but the truth should always be covered in love. True, True love never beats down the other person with the truth without giving them the love as well. Real love loves it into them. It feels, it empathizes, it cares. And finally, love meets needs. It sees needs, and it feels needs, and then it also meets needs. John says it so well, verse 18, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Real love isn't content to talk about what it'll do, it just does. It always is ready to roll up its shirt sleeves and jump into action. Love always comes with elbow grease and giddy up. John says, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? If I've got the goods and you've got a need, love's first impulse will always be to meet that need. The desire will be to do something. Now there have been times when I, have, I was ready to give and God shut up my wallet. Or He shut down the opportunity for some reason. 
There have been times when I wanted to give and God said no to my impulse. You know, sometimes our attempts to help can only make matters worse. This is why we need wisdom. God might just say no. But there should never be a time when I say no. When I shut up my heart to the need at hand. If I got the goods, and if you got a need, then God wants me to want to meet your need. Once there was an exhausted dad who came home on a Friday. He collapsed in the lazy boy. He had his newspaper in hand. He just wanted to unwind and relax. Not long, mind you. Just a minute or two of R&R. When up walked his little boy. His son just stood there and looked at his dad. Finally he said, Daddy, I love you. And from behind his newspaper, the father muttered, I love you too, son. The little guy said it again. Daddy, I love you. This time his dad reached his hand out from around the newspaper, patted him on the head. He said, I love you too, son. Finally, the little boy, he backed up and he gave a running start. and He just dove right into his father's lap. Ripping and crumbling up the newspaper, almost knocking him out of his chair. Well, after regaining his balance, his dad said, Son, what in the world did, why in the world did you do that? And that's when the little boy said, Daddy, I love you so much, I just had to do something about it. And this is true of real love. When love sees a need, it has to do something about it. Love meets needs. Realize what I mean when I say love meets needs. Love doesn't just do what's convenient. Are comfortable for me. Love doesn't work loved ones into my schedule. It works my schedule around the people I love. Real love tries to love the person in a way that he needs or wants to be loved. You see, it does me no good to feed a man that needs shelter or to find shelter for a man who needs to be fed. Love is felt strongest when it's aimed at a need. You know, some men like working around the house and they think that they're telling their wife they love them by working around the house. Guys, maybe you are, but maybe you aren't. Hey, instead of another trip down to Home Depot, perhaps she would prefer something from the florist. She wants to know that you treasure her, not just the house. And ladies, you can purchase a whole greenhouse full of flowers But speaking on behalf of most husbands here today, there's a lot better way for you to communicate to your husband that you love him. Let you figure that out. Sometimes we try to show love, but the other person doesn't perceive it as such because we misapply our efforts. We sacrifice, but our sacrifice goes wasted. Your act of love is irrelevant if it doesn't scratch the itch of the person you love. Real love expresses itself according to their need, not my convenience. If I truly love someone, I'll love them in the way that they want or need to be loved. There's a Christian song that contains the following line. If you want to lead me to Jesus, you better find another way. For your life is speaking so loud. I can't hear a word that you say. I hope nobody ever says that about me. That my actions have betrayed my words. What a sad indictment that would be. It's so easy to talk about love. All the while there's a harshness in our voice. 
or there's a judgmental look on our face, or there's a mean pounding in our step. Hey, Jesus loves us, but are we really trying to love each other? Stanley Mooneyham, he writes this, Love talked about is easily turned aside, but love demonstrated is irresistible. What our world needs most today is love. But not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Our loveless world desperately needs to see love in action. Let's start to cross-think. Let's look to Jesus. Let's look to the cross. If He laid down His life for me, then I can lay down my life for others. And then let's begin to see needs and feel needs and meet needs. Hey, you can have a better life by becoming a better lover. Father,